adults are going to turn to Jude, Jude chapter, or Jude verse 17 this morning. Don't you wish you could capture some of that enthusiasm? <laughs> yeah. What if it would snow? That would be one thing. But yeah, just just this kind of weather. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Starting with verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words which were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last days there shall be mock following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy without fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. The Great Wall of China began to be built back in 700 BC, 700 years before the birth of Christ. It continued to be built and added to up until the 17th century AD. That's a long time to build a wall. Uh, and yet, the, the wall itself stretched over 13,000 miles. It was well fortified. It was designed to keep the hordes of, from the north out of China, keep them from invading the, the land of China. The, in all of the history that that wall was used, it was only breached three times. All three times, it was breached because somebody was able to bribe some of the guards, and they opened the gates and let in the, the enemy there. Jude is concerned about the enemy within the gates. He's called us to stand firm. He has called us to contend earnestly for the faith. And he has assured us that sometimes that danger comes not from outside, but from in. And he encourages us to be on guard against that today. When we think of the danger that is there, how do we survive? I remember years ago, as I was getting ready to go to the mission field, uh, one of the requirements that they had for new missionaries was a three-month boot camp program. They don't call it boot camp anymore. They come up with a fancy term for it. But back in those days, it was boot camp. And basically, you went and you lived in an Indian village under the supervision of other missionaries for three months, learning how to conduct yourselves, learning how to survive in the 40, 50 below zero weather, uh, all, all kinds of classes that, that you had to finish before that program was over. In a sense, Jude is giving us some survival tactics here, a boot camp program for us to, to follow if we're going to be successful as, as we walk through this life. And I believe these commands are for not just Jude and his followers, but for today. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, he speaks of the fact that um, the, in the last days, some will depart from the faith. 
In 2 Timothy 3, 1, Paul says, in the last days, difficult days will come. You ever experienced some of that? The, the difficulties it is to be a, a child of God, even in America today, a so-called Christian nation, and yet, what are we facing today? Uh, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, warns us that, that false prophets will arise within the church as well. How do we guard against that? Jude brings us three commands in this passage. The first one is that little word, remember. He said, I, you ought to remember. It's interesting that that word, remember, is the first imperative command in the book. All the rest of the chapter leading up to this has merely been descriptive, describing what a false teacher, what an apostate looks like. This is the first command that he issues to us here. He said, I want you to remember. What are we to remember? He said, I want you to remember the words that were spoken by the prophets, by the apostles. Literally, he said, I want you to remember the word of God. This is the foundation of our faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he calls us back to the word of God. He said, I want you to remember, I want you to think about what you've learned, what you have seen in in the word of God. Why do we need a reminder? The songwriter captured that thought in remind me, dear Lord. He said, help me to remember why because I'm human and I tend to forget you ever notice as you get a little bit older that it's a little bit harder to remember some things Uh, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's experienced that here today if we're not careful we tend to forget we need that continual reminder the apostle Paul in writing to the Philippians in chapter 3 said you know to write the same things to you. He said, it's not a problem to me. It's not grievous. But for you, it is safe. He, is, he was going over some truths that he had taught them while he was there. And he said, you know, you need to hear it again. Peter says the same thing in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 there. Uh, and he gives us the reason why there. He said, this is the beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the word spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So we need that continual reminder in our lives. And we need a continual reminder of thus saith the scriptures. That's what I appreciate about the Evangelical Free Church when it was formed and down through the years, the question that they've always asked is, where stands it written? Where is this found in the Word of God? And they continually go back to the Word of God. In Acts chapter 17, the church in Berea, Paul said they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Uh, Paul had been ministering in Thessalonia. He had been kicked out of there, had gone to Berea, and he said the reason they were more noble is because they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true or not. Can you imagine checking up on the Apostle Paul? They did that. Was he consistent with, the at that time, the Old, Old Testament scriptures? We need to evaluate all of our experiences, all of our visions, all of our dreams, all of our sermons by the Word of God. 
how does it measure up to what God has to say in his word? And I think that's a serious issue today. We need to get back to focusing on the word of God. Back in 1990, the Evangelical Beacon, that no longer exists as a magazine, but when it did, they did a survey, uh, the, the Barna Research Group did a survey of Christians now, not, not of people in the world, but of, of Christians. And this is what they found back in 1990 there. Uh, they, it, it was rather disturbing when they looked at the spiritual ignorance there now. Before we're too hard on the people that they interviewed, test yourself when I mention these things. If I asked you to turn to the book of Thomas, where would you turn? Now, some of you aren't sure. <laughs> uh, you, you joined 22% of evangelical Christians that in 1990 thought there actually is a book of Thomas in the Bible. They were asked, where do you find the book of Jonah? 27% said there's no book of Jonah in the Bible. They missed it. Uh, then they asked about the book of Isaiah. Is it in the New Testament or the Old Testament? I, I, I trust you get it right, but 11% thought it was located in the New Testament. 13% said they didn't have the slightest idea. That's 24% that didn't even know where to turn to begin to look for the book of Isaiah. 30% missed the question, where was Jesus born? Now, that, that should be a familiar one to us. Uh, the majority of them felt he was born in Jerusalem. Uh, th- they missed it. Uh, the question that met most people wrestled with and had the most trouble was, is the expression, God helps those who help themselves, found in the Bible? <laughs> uh, uh, it, uh, half of Americans, they went on to reveal, do not have time to read the Bible. That's a sobering statistic. The survey found that only 18% of all Christians read the Bible every day, while another 18% read it somewhere between three and six days a week. 37% of those surveyed, now these are evangelical Christians, this wasn't people in the world, 37% said they do not read the Bible at all. We need to remember we are, need to be called back to, as, as Jude is doing here, to, to remember the word of God. I thank the Lord for our Awana ministry for two reasons. Number one, we've already this year had at least three individuals pray to accept Christ as their personal Savior. What a tremendous blessing that is. But the thing that I really appreciate about Awana is they emphasize getting the word of God into the hearts and minds of the kids. They have to memorize those verses. They have to say them. And guess what? They come back next week and they're quizzed on them again and again and again. They're they're getting them fixed into their mind. What a tremendous blessing that is for those young people. I remember when shortly after I accepted the Lord as my personal savior, I was about 13 years of age. We had a, a group come from Word of Life Bible Camp from upstate New York. They came down in, to our area down in Pennsylvania, put on a program. I thought, you know, it would be great to go to 
camp for a week. Uh, and you know, as I thought about that, I knew my parents would never be able to afford that. And I was working at the time, uh, cutting lawns. And at 75 cents an hour, camp fees were out of sight because that, those checks were, that I was earning were, were going into the bank for college expenses. So I kind of wrote off the idea of ever going to camp. And then one Sunday morning, our Sunday school superintendent got up and he announced that he would send anybody to camp that would learn 300 verses in the following year. 300 verses, that, that uh, amounted to about 25 verses a month that you had to memorize. Not only you had, didn't just have to memorize them, he said, we'll come together one Sunday afternoon a month, and you sit down and you write out those verses. You're allowed two mistakes in each verse at, at the most. And, you know, I thought, if I'm ever going to go to camp, it's the only way it's going to happen. And so I did it. Now, I did not, I'll be honest with you, I did not learn those verses because I thought it was a good spiritual experience. I, I did it to go to camp. But I think uh, Mr. Sutton was a little bit sneaky there. He, he knew that if I did it to go to camp, guess what? They're programmed into your mind and, and heart. And uh, I don't think you, bribery in that case was wrong. <laughs> I, I, I did it, and I went to camp, and the next year he came with the same idea. He said, I've got 300 more verses. We'll, we'll do it again this year. So 600 verses in, in two years' time. I, I wish I could say I could go out and sit at a table out there and write out all 600 of them today. I can't. Uh, I need to remember as well. And, and sometimes, you know, things pass out of your mind, but I can honestly say that I many times have come back to those verses, and when I need them, they're there. And if I can't quote them 100% accurate anymore, I can know where they're at, and I can turn to them, and, and I can find what the Word says. We need to program, I believe, the Word of God into our hearts and lives, so that we're not taken by surprise, by apostasy. It, it doesn't take God by surprise. Matthew 16, remember, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's going to build that church and he's going to have the final say. I, I love what Billy Graham said in the, in the Senate uh, dining room where he was asked by a senator, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, I'm an optimist. And they asked him why. And he said, I've read the final chapter. We know what the future holds. Jesus Christ, even though there are mockers and scorners and those that are fighting against the word of God out there, following their ungodly ways, devoid of the spirit, he says here, not they're in the church, but not of the church. Yet God is the one that ultimately wins the, the victory there. And so our safeguard today is the word of God. Are you in it regularly? Or do you fall into that 38% that don't ever bother opening your Bibles. That's, that's tragic if, if you fall into that category, that your safeguard today is the Word of God. He says, I want you to remember. Get into it. Remind yourselves of it. Program it into your heart and into your mind and let God work through it in your lives. And then the second command is that little word, remain. Now you say, where in the word do you get that out of this passage? Well, I'm trying to make it easy for you. I'm trying to get all four, three of them to start with an R. Uh, the, the word that you have in most of your Bibles is keep. 
in verse 18, or, yeah, in verse 20 and 21. It, it comes out of verse 21, keep your, uh, your, there. But that word in Greek also means to remain, to, to stay in, in that condition there. It's an imperative command again, the same as remember, remain is a, con, a command as well. He adds to that command three participle phrases. Now, if you're an English major, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not an English major, you probably don't even care. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not an English major, but I, I, I do understand what he's saying. These three, there's three words here that help us understand what it means to remain in, in, in the faith, remain in, a, in the right relationship with the Lord. The first one is found in verse 20 where he says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That building there is the participial phrase there. How do we do that? Again, we do that by getting into the word of God, by building the word of God into our hearts and lives. It's not just that we know it, but if we're building ourselves up in the most holy faith, we are taking the word of God and we're putting it into practice in our lives. Uh, I am aware of many exercise programs out there that are probably good for a person. Uh, I have a head knowledge of, of a lot of different exercise programs. Unfortunately, I don't put most of them into practice. Uh, it, it, I just haven't got around to that yet. Uh, they don't do me much good. The fact that I know them doesn't, doesn't change my life. If I practice them, they make a difference. I, I do have some form of exercise. I like to walk between two to four miles a day. That it, it, it is good for me. I like to do a few simple exercises. But a lot of those exercises out there probably would benefit me more if I would just practice them. But I don't do it. And I wonder how many times we have to say the same thing about the principles of the Word of God. We know them. We, we've heard them over and over again do we practice them? Do we put them into practice in our lives? If we do, then we're building ourselves up in his holy faith there. The, the second participle that he puts on it is praying in, in uh, that same verse there, praying in the Holy Spirit there. As I think about that, I guess the obvious question is, how is your prayer life? Is it a priority for you to take some time on a regular basis to talk to the Lord, to, to interact with the Lord? Or do you only do it when you're in trouble, when you have a need? I like the illustration of a pastor that went to visit a, a lady in his church, and as he was talking with her, he asked her how her prayer life was. He said, oh, I never pray. I, I, I don't pray at all. And he pressed the issue a little bit and finally said, well, you know, when I go to bed at night, one of the last things that goes through my mind is that little prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, you're familiar with it. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And he stopped her and he said, why do you pray that prayer? She said, well, when I'm awake, I can take care of myself. But it's good to have somebody watching your back while you're asleep. <laughs> what a tragedy, really, if that's your view of prayer. We are to pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that suggest for us? I think it suggests if we're going to pray, we need to stop and ask, what does he want? What is his will? What, what, what is his desire? What, what should we be asking for as far as 
our Lord and Savior is concerned. Do, do we pray? Are we willing to pray, thy will be done? Or do we come to God with a shopping list and say, Lord, I need this, I need that, I'd, I'd like to have this, uh, on and on goes the list. Or do we take the time to find out what is his will and ask for the best things in, in life there? As I think of prayer, I think of that little phrase, why worry when you can pray? How many of you turn that around? Why pray when you can worry? We need to be men and women of prayer. We, we need to invest in prayer. One of the things I appreciate about what goes on in our church is the emphasis on prayer. We have two Wednesday evening Bible studies, and I understand that the one up on the golf course does similar to what we do out at Jump Off Joe. We have our Bible study time, but then we have a prayer time. Am, am I correct in that? You're still doing prayer up there, aren't you? Yeah, okay. I, I, I thought you were. Uh, yeah. We have two ladies' groups going right now. Uh, a good portion of their time is spent not just in studying about prayer, but in actually praying. They're interceding for our church and, and for our community and, and, and so forth there. We need those times of prayer. We need to be men and women of prayer if we are going to stand fast for the Lord Jesus Christ in the day and age in, in which we find ourselves. And then he said, the th third participial phrase here is looking in verse 21. He says, looking or waiting anxiously is another way of, that can be translated there. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 speaks of the return of Jesus Christ as that blessed hope, that, that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. We, we should have that sense of anticipation. Jesus Christ is coming again. And guess what? It could be today. He could suddenly call us into his presence be, before this day is over. That word waning anxiously, I think we, we capture a little bit of that at Christmas time. Do you ever notice how children like to count down the days till Christmas? We're going to start the Advent season here two weeks from now and, and four weeks before Christmas. Uh, do you remember thinking, that's a long time? Four whole weeks to wait? And then three weeks, and then two weeks, uh, and the excitement builds as, as the time goes on. That's the idea that he has when he says looking here or waiting anxiously. We should be excited about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, that, that we're going to someday be with him in glory. We spoke to a, a dear friend of ours up in Alberta last night. We had just received word that her husband, 85 years of age, had passed away. They'd been married 62 years. We, we had worked together with them on the mission field, had kept in contact with them for, for years. I don't know, 50-some years that we've known them because it was before we were even married. As a matter of fact, he was the one that performed our, our wedding ceremony. But uh, I, the, the thing that I liked about listening to Louise as she was talking is she was excited about the, not the fact that she lost her husband. The, the, the sorrow and the grief was real. She was rejoicing that he was in the presence of Jesus, out of the pain, out of the suffering that, that he had endured for so long, and that he was enjoying the glories of heaven. You looking forward to that? You know, the older I get, the more it seems like that's a great deal. 
We're, we're going to someday and maybe soon be with Christ in glory. John says, you know, if that's true, then we should purify ourselves, 1 John 3, 3. We should keep short accounts with God because it could be today that we're ushered in to his presence. We are to be looking to that event. With that in mind, then, the third command that comes out of these verses is found in 22 and 23. He said, I want you to reach out. Now, again, that's not in there. That's so you can remember the three. That's another R there. He said, I want you to reach out. Uh, He said, knowing what's ahead, knowing that the enemy is on the offensive, you need to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those that need to hear the gospel message. So that's our responsibility. We remember, we remain in that faith, and then we reach out to others. We share the good news with three groups, actually, he mentions here. We share it with some who are doubting, sincere doubters. You know any doubters today? You know somebody that's questioning, is Scripture really true? Is there truth in what you're saying? He said, show mercy on them. Show them compassion. Seek to draw them to Christ. God is not afraid of doubts. God's heard them all. He knows them all. I I think of four years that I struggled with doubts before I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I had heard all about Santa Claus. I knew all about the Easter Bunny. And I knew it wasn't true. And uh, I hope I don't ruin anybody's Christmas here, but... uh, it's about Jesus Christ. It's, it's not about Santa Claus. Uh, and, and for years, my parents taught that as the gospel truth, in a sense. And, and I, we, we had an old farmhouse with a, a big grate between the two floors there, and we could watch mom and dad setting everything up on Christmas Eve. And then Christmas morning, they'd say, see what Santa Claus did. Yeah, right. And then I started going to a a Bible club at eight years of age, and this lady's telling me all of these fantastic stories about somebody called Jesus Christ. And I thought, you're not going to fool me again. I've been through this before. And and it took me four years to wrestle with that before I realized that it was true. Uh, And so if somebody's doubting, show them mercy. Show them compassion. Let them wrestle with those doubts. And just continue to share Jesus Christ with them and watch him work in their hearts and lives. The other second group that he mentions here is endangered unbelievers here. Uh, He said, snatch them. I I think he's referring to those that have been caught in cults and so forth, ensnared by false teaching. We need to warn them of the danger of where that leads and and, and where they're they're headed there. Uh, I don't know about you, but I mentioned in Sunday school class, you know, you have some of those individuals come and they knock on your door and, and you don't really want to take the time to bother with them. And, and you, you know what? I wonder if God sends them to this, our door so that we can begin to snatch them out of that bondage. Don't just politely close the door in their face or slam the door in their face or whatever. I, I like to start off before the, uh, they have time to go into their spiel. I, I like to say, you know what? I'm satisfied with Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior, and, and uh, this is what he's done for me. Take, take the offensive. They, they, need, they need the gospel message, and the only place they're going to hear it is possibly at your door. They're not going to hear it in their church because they don't teach the truth. Uh, 
Seek to, to snatch them, to, to bring them into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the third group is, in verse 23 here, confirmed sinners. He said, have mercy on them, snatching them out of the fire. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We go out to the very gates of hell when we minister to the lost. Don't expect them to come into the church. You, you go out and, and you find them and seek to reach them with the, the gospel message. Uh, uh, there are some confirmed sinners out there. Can God reach them? Well, the fact of the matter is, God reached you. How many of you were rebelling against God when he came in, into your life? How many of you had nothing to do with God and suddenly God steps into your life and, and before you know it, you're a child of God. Have you ever wonder how in the world that happened? Uh, uh, confirmed sinner and then suddenly a, a saint. That, that's what we're in the business for. He said do it with fear because the danger is when you're out there with the confirmed sinners that you could yield to the temptation and follow their ways instead of having them follow your ways. But... Um, as someone said, we need to love sinners. We need to hate the sin that pollutes. There's a difference there. We, we, we love the sinner. We seek to reach them with the gospel message at the same time, hating the, the very garment, he says, that's polluted by, by the flesh there. But never lose sight of the fact that God is at work in hearts and lives. We never know when that person is going to respond to the gospel message, but we can rest in the fact that God is at work, and we continue to share the gospel, continue to share our testimony with them, and we can rejoice when God works, and, and when God brings that person back to himself there. The evangelist Billy Sunday used to give his converts three commands or three rules for success in their Christian life. He said the first rule was each day you are to read the Bible. Each day let God talk to you. Let, let him somehow get into your heart and mind through the word that you're, you're reading there. His second command was each day you are to pray, to talk to God, to communicate with your heavenly father there. There's safety in that. And then he said I want you each day to seek to witness to somebody else, to talk to somebody else either by word or by deed, to show them the difference that Christ can make in, in a life. That's hard advice to improve on, even though that's been a long time ago that when, when Billy Sunday lived. But I think it's good for us to ask ourselves, how are we doing in those three areas? Are we in the word today? Are, are, are we letting the word get into our hearts and minds? Are, are we remembering it? Are, are we bringing it back to our attention? You know, there's a lot of things we learned years ago that maybe we're a little fuzzy on today. Get back into the word. Find out what God is actually saying in those areas. And then how is your prayer life? Do you take time on a regular basis to spend time with the Lord? To share what's on your heart? To find out what his will is, what his plan is, and, and to ask him to help you to do that? And then are you seeking to communicate the gospel to the lost? Are you asking God to use you to be a blessing to somebody along the way? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this little epistle that we've been looking at. We thank you for the example of Jude, 
We thank you that you've given us your word. What a tremendous blessing that is. And as I think of Thanksgiving week, if we have nothing else to be thankful for, we have the word of God. What a joy and, and privilege that is. But thank you, Lord, that you've invited us to pray, to talk to you, to share with you, and that you have some reason, some way, we, we marvel at that, that you've commissioned us to carry the gospel message to the lost, to live it out in such a way that others would be attracted to you. Give us the courage to be the witness, the testimony that you want us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With that in mind, let's sing together, I know whom I have believed.